Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, boys, and girls, to Drop Ronda the podcast for the adventure hobby enthusiast. Are we just doing Strange Voice Day today? Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, it's like it's like fifty percent English, but like all the words are just like halfway to what they should be enunciated as. Yeah, you just blur them together. Yeah, dang old. Yeah, we got some stories. Oh, we got stories. We're gonna just start right by the old campfire. Yeah, and just break out the can of beans yeah. and tell some stories. Just settle in by the warmth of the fire while Uncle Scott and Grandpa John. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, okay, I haven't bought a army like a, a, an army for a big uh, miniature war game in over a decade oh boy maybe even longer i didn't realize it had been that long uh, okay let's think about this the last one i actually actively purchased things for were wood elves and there was a time when you and i were going to do an escalation league mm-hmm. that you weren't a part of mm-hmm. and then i started my own down here yeah like a skis yeah and then yeah. mine took off and yours was garbage and crashed and burned mine never happened yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. at that point i did buy a nomad prince and a unit of eternal guard mm-hmm. and wild riders all three of which are painted now that feels pretty good to say out loud okay so i don't know if you consider that buying an army but that was supplementing a, an army i had already had when i think of buying an army it's like okay i'm gonna turn a new page and pick a new army and buy a bunch of models for it yep and when i started wood elves i was 12 years old jesus so that was 16 years ago uh, no wonder I was, that i was that 12 old, 13 14 somewhere in there that treant is like seven 17 pounds of pewter that you yeah have. dude yeah no that's when they first got remade into what they are now um that's when i started playing wood elves it was a long time ago um and a long time ago i also sold my vampire count army um and so i don't have a vampire count army and i like vampires a lot just like you do yeah and so i was like okay we need to play vampires because i don't want to work on my wood elves right now i want to wait to see what the old world is Mm -hmm. and then the wood elves could maybe be the old world army and then the vampires could be the age of sigmar army so oh you know see how that works out you didn't mention that to me but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because a lot of them are still on square bases. Yeah. So let's just keep them on there, base them up, they look nice. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to start a new army. It was going to be vampires. I was like, John, how do I make a vampire list that includes Neferata? Because yeah. I love that model. Yes. Amazing um, model. Pretty cool unit. Not super, super like broken strong, but she's pretty strong if you use her right. Yeah. So all the recipes. Yes. And she's a vampire. Yes, and she's a vampire. And he had three words for me, and they were legion of blood legion of blood i was like that's a good start i like that name yeah it's a great name <laughs> yeah and you're like what does legion of blood do and i say it makes all your vampires and their dragons stronger yes and those are all good things yes uh so his list was neferata mm-hmm. vampire lord on zombie dragon mm-hmm. good start prince Vordry on yeah, that's, dragon. that's three for three on vampires <laughs> that's three for three on vampires baby yeah uh 20 chain rasps yeah why the why the rasps Okay, because Chain Rasps have a five-up save, yeah, which is not great, but they're immune to rend. Yes, that is nice. And 20 of them are very hard to kill just because you got to chomp through a lot of no-rend-taking little bastards. Yeah. And they're cheap in terms of points. They're they like 80 six points inch, for 10. Six-inch movement, too, don't they? Yeah, which is two inches more than skeletons mm. or zombies. Right. 
um, what they're used for in this army are basically they're going to hold an objective that it's going to be a pain in the ass to get them off of. Mm -hmm. uh, if they are gotten off of it, that means they had to commit a fair amount of resources to kill them. Mm -hmm. And if they're doing that, that means your vampires are running amok somewhere yes. else. Slaughtering people. Yes. Drinking just, blood. Just murdering. The other nice thing is that with 20 of them, you can you can kind of string them along to really mess with stuff. Let's say you're worried that they're going to come in and charge on you, like turn one with those big ogres on the mammoths or a, mm, a, yes. a orc on top of a cabbage um, <laughs> that have a, a big alpha strike that can just crash right into you and mess up your world. Well, in those games, you just string a unit of 20 ghosts in front of all your vampires and be like, all right, come on in, cabbage man, because you got to go through all of these ghosts first. And whether or not they kill them, suddenly now your vampires get to go. And they're the ones getting eaten. So yeah, yes, you said vampires, and there are more than just three vampires. Oh, in this more, army, baby. more, more, more. Oh yeah. Well, first of all, the boring stuff. Two units of five direwolves for dire screening. Wolves. Yep, great. They're fast, and they can protect certain things from charges and whatnot, and kind of hold people in place to then get the get the the hammer. They're they're kind of like the temporary anvil to the hammer. Yep. And the hammer is two fatty units of five blood knights yeah these are badass vampires on yes. steeds and you i mean the the age-old quandary with blood knights is the models 90 bucks per five yeah nine well yeah if you is can even get them well they're i think their box price is 110 so you could probably no. if what? if you can find them you could get them as cheap as possibly 90 for five and they're all in fine cast yeah and they look look a little weird yeah they don't look bad but they don't look great the castellan the leader of the unit looks okay mm -hmm. that mid guy who's kind of like has his horse rearing up yes that guy looks cool um but yeah some of them their helmets look a little goofy and they look a little goofy but i thought doesn't gw sell us on their website i don't i don't know if they still have them up there or not oh okay i'll look it up while you tell me what you are actually chose to do with your okay nights. okay so i have a video coming out i have no idea when but about the the topic of how conversion can save you money in this case. Um, True. Quite a bit of money and also end up with a better looking end product. So uh, it's like a, it's like a three stage thing. One, you, you kind of, you, you develop your goals for what you want to do. Okay. You want to save money. You want them to look cool. Uh, and then you, then you go and try to find and source your bits. Like where, where am I going to pull from to make these vampires on steeds? So you look through, a catalog of stuff that GW has, maybe other content, uh, other people that make miniatures have, and you find, you know, a horse that you like, you find legs you like, a, a torso that you like, and a head that you like, and maybe uh, lances that you like because they have death lances, mm -hmm. um, and maybe shields that, that, that you like. Can you kind of piece all these things together from maybe different kits uh, to make the ultimate uh, Blood Knight vampire? And I don't want to spoil exactly what bits I'm using yet, mm, okay. um, but... In my brief looking on the internet at what people use for Blood Knights, I haven't seen people use the ones that I'm going to which is hard to believe because it seems like a pretty obvious choice. Have I, you seen this? I have not seen your choice of riders. Yes. I have seen yes. your choice of mounts. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I agree. But I think the combo, in theory, you haven't shown me a, a finished one yet for my official john seal of approval <laughs> okay but, okay but it it's a great combo in theory in theory uh, on paper okay so i'm super excited to do this it's gonna have some green stuff work i've been looking up tutorials about how to make really good green stuff chain mail um so i'm excited 
Mm. Because, you know, okay, I, I can spell one detail. I read a book uh, that, that had Neferata and Neferata's personal blood knight guard in it. And one detail that just kind of slipped my mind until I was smacked in the face by it was that there are female blood knights. Oh, why not? Well, yeah, why not? Uh, so I have a few choice ideas for some female blood knights. It's difficult because there aren't many females in the GW range that are in full plate mail. Ah, uh, yes. So I have a few ways to work around that. It may involve a little bit of sculpting on the forearms for some additional armor and whatnot. But yeah, the only full plated females are Stormcast Eternal, and those ladies are thick. Yeah. They're big. They're and chunky. Yeah. That's for sure. They wouldn't really meld well with the rest of the, the mouths that I plan to use. Yeah. I mean, you could, I guess you could take those Stormcasts that are on like the Thundercat things, like the Hairless Cats. The yeah, rider, Stormcast yeah. Riders. Yeah. This would not be a probably a cost saving alternative because I think those come in packs of three. But those like are ninety dollars. Yeah, they're probably sixty or something. Yeah. But those are badass looking. You could just like, put the nasty vampire head on them and paint the Stormcast armor like it's mm. evil dark black and brooding. That'd paint- be cool. <laughs> I it'd be worth looking at those again at least. Yeah. Um so yeah, I have been buying minis like I have never bought minis in quite a while. Oh, I, yeah. I buy things piecemeal. I buy like, I buy like a, a display model here. Two months later, I buy another display model. Yeah. I don't paint them. <laughs> no, <laughs> just, no, no. I just you buy have them. them. You have them. Yeah. Maybe uh, like a, a Shade Spire War brand. It's only yeah, like three yeah, or four dudes. Yeah. And, you know, paint one of them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's what happens. I paint one of them. Um, so super excited about that. Uh, I've been trying to see like how little money I can spend. So I've been uh, making posts in the local gaming Facebook mm-hmm. group to see if anyone wants to you know, let go of their stuff at a discounted price or trade stuff for it. I buy a lot of things on eBay, eBay auctions, especially because those, that's the money. If you can wait it out and just kind of like bid a little bit higher than the guy who's going for it at the end, you can, you can uh, get some pretty good cheap stuff. So all in all, I, it is, I think probably one of the least expensive armors I've ever purchased. It's because of the, the route that I've taken. Um, Yeah. I mean, I could have built you a list with 80 chain rasps in it. And that would have jumped up the price pretty fast. I would have said no. Yeah, because it wouldn't have been vampire. So exactly. that's why I didn't give. I didn't pitch it to you because I knew you wouldn't have taken it. <laughs> you know, I he, would say that I would. I would run a daughters of Cain list. I like those ladies a lot. Yeah, but you know what a good daughters of Cain looks like? Like sixty of the basic troops. Oh, 60. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> There's more. Oh yeah, you start at eighty of yeah. the basic. Yes. Oh boy, because that's how that army is good. Is just those basic chicks. So. It's a horde. You know, you get Marathi in there, which feels like a badass thing, but you have like a Marathi, you got a hag on the the cauldron, and then just a whole a bunch, bunch of witches. witches. Yeah. That's lame. So the research department is back with the findings from the Games Workshop website. Oh. Uh, Blood Knights are available. They are, the they have a the little red arrow, which means they're only a game on store exclusive. Online exclusive. Online exclusive. Yeah, yeah. Meaning you can only get them through GW and only through GW's site. Yeah. And they are $99 reduced. 100 bucks. So the price to beat, ladies and gentlemen, is $200 for 10 of them. Yes. I think I can do that. I think that's pretty pretty fine so far i've spent zero dollars i have 10 horses and four riders right. five if you consider a, a conversion i'm going to do i can i offer a no a smaller price to beat yeah sure okay because i just bought 10 cavalos death riders some boner boys some boner these are these are boners on horses oc arch boners so they're boner riders 
They uh, ride the boners. Okay. And okay. they're also boners. Jesus Christ. Um, and for a box of five of them, MSRP is $60. Six price zero. to beat 120 So your price to beat for 10 is 120 I I bought them. I, I put five together already. I got five more new inbox. So can you beat me out at the 120 mark? I didn't pay 120 but we're going on MSRP here. Sure, yeah. I think that's fair. Sure, I yeah. Can do that. I think I can beat that, yeah. I may. I, I haven't yet bought a box of anything. It's been all just bit sourcing, mm. um, bit trading, and bit gifting from the lovely Dan. Yeah, well, if Dan the man gives you 10 horses for free, that's not fair. Well, I traded him some bits. I fed him hot dogs from <laughs> uh, uh, Portillo's. Speaking of boner boys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we have a really kind friend, Dan, who is a, I like to call him a bit master uh and he has a lot of bits that he just has hanging around and he gave me uh some he gave me 10 of my horses that i needed so yeah what uh what a gentleman that was quite a score right. uh but uh if dan didn't exist i did find five of the horses that i needed on ebay for 10 bucks wow uh, and i bought them and then dan was like i have them and i was like okay cancel and then <laughs> it, it was it was fine but yeah so i found the ones i needed even without without daniel's grace daniel but, Excited about that. I'm excited to get him painted up. Wanted to do some kind of escalation league for him because I, I always love doing escalation leagues with new things. That's how I got my Mortician uh, Guild painted up initially mm. was because of an escalation campaign with them. Um, so I got all my, my all the 48K models that I have painted. Yeah. All from escalation. Yeah, league. exactly. It They're works. great things. I like them a lot. Um, but yeah, I'm super hyped. I haven't bought a new army in a while. The, the cool thing about the, the paint built-in aspect of the escalation league is that every time you play a game you're paying with all you're playing with all painted models yeah it starts off with a smaller game and then before you know it three four months in you're like damn this is like a thousand points and everything's still all painted yeah and then you go back to yeah, a different game where you just play a 2,000 point and it's, everything's gray. You're like, hmm, this isn't as cool. <laughs> <laughs> but then once you get like a majority of your force, let's say even you get to a full 2,000 painted, if you want to do a tweak to your list, suddenly it doesn't feel so overwhelming right, yeah. to paint that. I'm just painting this one extra different unit or one yeah. different hero or a couple things different. I yeah. would love to get to the point where it's just like, I don't know, I have a... What am I saying right now? I have like a core army painted up and then I can just, you know, add in a little bit of extra flavor, you know, put in a coven throne. Why not? Just it's for fun. A little spicy. Yeah, a little, maybe some Vargeist because Ooh. bats are cool. They're bat bi vampires. Yeah, they're vampires-ish. But yeah, so I am super excited about that. I, I bought everything in the list other than the the dogs. Direwolves. Direwolves. But I also bought a coven throne because <laughs> <laughs> I found it for cheap. Oops. And I also bought... Uh, Carl von Karstein, which is the crazy vampire with the cross swords above his head. And Carl. He's, he's dripping the water into his mouth. The water. The fucking blood. Yeah. Um, water. He's called the Vampire Lord now. <laughs> I don't like that. That's Carl Manfred. Oh, sorry, that's Carl von Karsten. He's the crazy uncle. Um, but you yeah. could put some wings on him and he would count as a winged vampire lord. There's such a thing as a winged vampire lord? Yeah, right now, the vampire lord... <laughs> has two free options. doesn't cost you any more points. You have a regular vampire lord. You can have a winged vampire lord who his movement then increases to 10 inches and he can fly for no for no more point cost. <laughs> or you can have the mounted vampire lord. Oh, for increased wounds. He's on a steed. No, he's the same amount of wounds. Oh. But his speed goes 
to 12 inches. What? And he gets a couple of free horsey attacks. Okay. Um, I built the Vampire Lord on Steed because I had him mounted on a Fen- Fenrisian wolf because he's just like... He's got a momentum to him. Yeah. And like, he's haunched over and I green stuffed on like a, a loin. You know, they have like the smaller tabards that's just down the loins not through the whole body yeah so i had the back of that like flying in the air behind him he's got so much speed i love that and i used the vampire that's on the back of the uh, vampire lord on zombie dragon yeah i was able to find uh someone a, a that was bonus just, one just selling that that's and that for five bucks that's glorious uh, and i used him so he's all hunched over the the, <laughs> the dog and I built that super happy with it. And then I see like, everyone's like, no, actually wings are better. Just being able to fly over stuff to get out of the way or to deal with getting through combats that are happening is more valuable than having to like drive around them in your horse. So dude, screw what people say. I, so I built both. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Where's the wing vampire? I've never seen him. Oh, he's over in my box. He's not, he's not painted, but he's built. He's got wings. Yes. Like, yep. Oh, is it, is it the one out of the box that has wings? No, it's you the, it? it's the guy from, yes, it's the guy from the Warhammer quest box that he's an elf and he's kind of like jumping and he's got these big claw things. I use that guy for, uh, my kill team, dark Eldar. Yeah. Squad. Yeah. So I had that, I have him on like this edge of a rock cliff and he's jumping off of it and he's got big vampire wings come out of his back. Okay. I haven't seen this. That sounds awesome. I also have mine jumping off of like a sewer pipe. Oh like, yeah. Cause I was, you know, whatever. It's, it's like perfect for him coming off of something. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That post. All right. I'll show that to you later. Sick. Um, so yeah, you, uh, I, I do. I have a follow up question okay. about this. So you've got vampire Lord on zombie dragon. Yeah. And you've got Prince for dry. How am I going to differentiate? Because for the folks that don't understand, they're both the same model. Prince yeah. Vordry is just the named vampire that rides also on a zombie dragon. Yes. So it's both vampires and zombie dragon. Did you buy two of those kits? Yes. Okay. Can I make a suggestion? Absolutely. Um, first of all, the one that I would want to do, and I have an extra kit of Neferata uh, or Archon or Manfred. I have an extra kit of that. I want to take that dragon pose it so it's sitting straight up kind of like a seahorse <laughs> and i i have giant tyranid wings okay that i got and so i want to have it basically yes like straight wings up like a bat fully like vertical and then i want the vampire standing proud on top of its head like it's not mounted it's just standing there because it doesn't need a goddamn saddle right yeah because he's like an acrobatic king. Yes. <laughs> okay. So there's an option, but you know, you already bought this. But what you can do is with some tweaking and reforming, build the second one more like the Terrorgeist because they're the same kit, but they, they go together differently and they have different um, poses and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can just build it more like the Terrorgeist so it'll feel aesthetically different, but then you could still use a zombie dragon head. Okay. Um, or make some other tweaks to the head or something like that. Okay. I think I don't really work. mind them looking similar. Uh, I I'm just scared that putting like a like a artistic roadblock in the way is gonna prevent me from ever putting it together. Oh yeah. Because I got this huge blood knight conversion thing going on. It's like I gotta do that too. True. Why are you putting that on me, John? Well, if you just build it like the Terrorgeist kit, 
you don't have to do a bunch of different things. The other thing you could do is you could build them both like zombie dragons. What I see a lot of people do is built onto their base. They build scenery like where the dragon is either crawling down off of a yeah, building that's sick. or climbing up in, like on top of spires and that stuff. That Garden of More kit, dude. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I got a bunch of... I got a bunch of extras of that if you need some bits. Do you do? Because so, I bought, I have that kit, the, the double kit. Oh, yeah. It comes with two sets of the whole stinking graveyard. Dude, so. yeah, if you got some, I'm going to buy it from you. Yeah, so we're set. We're, we're set. set. I already used some of that kit from my Resin Beast piece last year, so I feel like mm. I, I've, I've used some of it. You tapped uh, it a little bit. Yeah, I don't need to like keep on double tapping. Okay, you know, so. <laughs> okay, okay. That was a long story. That was a long story. I'm excited about it, though. About Age of Sigmar and... A lot of the listeners do not give a shit about Age of Sigmar. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's some solid takeaways there, even if you don't care about that game, about finding stuff that excites you for your army or the game you play, or even an, a model you want to paint, and what, will you make it your own? Yeah. That there's some stuff there through the mental process of how do you go about figuring that out and doing your research before you just jump into buying stuff. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. So, in dealing with what you already have, I find that's a big thing. You're going to get to a point, you you know, some of our folks have no bits box. Some of our folks have a bigger bits box and fit in their house, like, <laughs> and everywhere in between, like looking at what you already have and then looking at everything you buy and extra parts on it that are extra bits are always good to revisit and see where inspiration strikes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. On to what we've painted in this past. I got a story too. Week. You have a story? I got a story. That's kind of a okay. story. So my story is about how this mini painting hobby has made me a better homeowner. And I feel like this this isn't the first time that I've had one of these revelations on this podcast. But um, so when I was finishing this basement, uh, I was telling you earlier, I cut a bunch of holes in the ceiling of different rooms in my house. Yeah. Because there was supposedly an unused electrical line that ran somewhere from near the ceiling of my electrical box down to here in the basement, mm-hmm. which one of the biggest hurdles in this project was getting that power line. Um, it's just not simply as simple as just run a line through because my house is multi-level. And so it had to go through areas that are blocked off by cement. And so I couldn't just run extra lines. So I'm like, okay, I got to find where that line is running, right, right. grab it and then attach it. Perfect. Okay. Um, could not find it anywhere. So I'm like, I guess I just have to start cutting holes in my ceilings uh, <laughs> of the drywall. Got by an electrician. <laughs> yeah. And so I ended up cutting, I think, six holes in my ceiling. Uh, uh, long story short. In your there, bathroom? Uh, only one in my bathroom, five in my utility slash laundry room. Okay. I was looking at the, the ceiling in your bathroom. I couldn't find a single spot where there was a hole. Mine is blind. It's in the, it's in the front corner. Oh, okay. I snuck past it then. I could. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so here's where the hobbyist comes in. Okay. So I was smart. And when I cut these holes in the drywall, I kept the pieces of drywall that I cut. So in theory, if I cut out a square, I have that square and just pop it back in. Yep. It's not as simple as that. You have to have supports that it adheres to, to have a flush surface. But where the hobbying comes in is I used, um, joint compound and base making a lot joint compound is something that is typically used in for homeowners to smooth out holes in your drywall Mm -hmm. or scratches in your whatever on your walls and stuff like that or stucco i use it and to make bases it's really kind of cool for that 
And I found that when I thin it down for bases, making bases, I can make like a, a slurry and I can use that to smooth over areas of cork or mm-hmm. bark or make it look more like more natural, smooth rocks and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So when I put these pieces of drywall back in the ceiling, there's obviously a line all the way around. So I use my hobby slurry to then fill those gaps of that line <laughs> to totally erase the fact that there was ever a cut piece of drywall. And I'm sure most folks are saying like, yeah, that's what those people do for that. <laughs> <laughs> that is the initial purpose. But that's not how I've been exposed to it. I've been exposed to it for making bases. And so it made me feel like, oh, I know how to do this from the hobby. Yeah. I can do it on my house. Yeah, you were mentioning that when uh, uh, Jeremy was comparing his reverse experience. Yes. Where it's like, these are all tools that I used in my previous contractor career that I'm now using for the hobby. It's the reverse yeah. for you. I use all these things for the hobby, and now I can actually get stuff done in my house. <laughs> So, so there's my my little story. Did we want to have a real quick snippet with with folks about our Los Angeles class? Yeah, sure. So just to peel back the curtain a little bit, we filmed these things ahead of time, uh, so we don't necessarily know what's happening at this stage with the coronavirus where we are filming from in the past. So we have a class uh, in Burbank, in Los Angeles, uh, California, uh, mini painting class, two days long. It's set to take place on in may may 2nd and 3rd but at the time of this recording uh we don't know if that is going to change at some point in the future so we know we're going to have a class we just don't necessarily know when it's going to be so you can check our site it's linked in the description and in the show notes for this video um to see when that class is going to end up being it's likely going to be delayed to a later point in the future um but yeah, that that's the that's the behind the scenes um, about that and the decisions we have to make for that. Yeah, and we're also looking at other venues. We we have a bunch of other venues that are cities, I should say, that we have on our radar that mm-hmm. we are going to look to finalize classes in the near future as well as medium future. Sure, yeah, but not the far future. No. Of space <laughs> and time. And there's only grim dark. <laughs> Not there. Yeah. I just mixed a little Diet Dew in the remainder of my Diet Coke. I'm sure that's going to turn out just fine. Yeah, that sounds disgusting. Yeah, well. Well, they. It turned it from like a brown soda to like a sepia soda. <laughs> oh. Uh, all right. So now everyone's up to date on that. Let's get a moving. Uh, what have we painted? Scott, and looking at the show notes, your what have we painted is blank. So I assume you painted something you want to oh, talk I about. I always painting something. Well, that's not true. Um, yes, I have been painting Drazar, a dark Eldar, Incubi god. Uh, Incubi god. Exactly. Um, yeah, I've been laboring over Drazar. I'm going for a, uh, a cabal of the flayed skull look, which is white and red. Um, they have painted miniatures in the old Dark Elder Codex, but they use kind of a cream white, and I didn't dig that. But earlier in the book, there's like a, a 2D illustration, and they use kind of more of a cold white. Ooh. So I went for that approach. Mm-hmm. So basically, it was kind of the same look as the Sisters of Battle that I did recently. But you can see this really interesting comparison where this is a white that I'm spending... I don't know, maybe three times as long on painting compared to the SOB one. If you look at the Sister to Battle one closely, you can see that there are uh, areas of imperfect blending where like the glaze kind of stained the white and didn't go on very nicely. Mm. 
So this one is more like I'm spending tons of time painting it and making sure all the blending is super smooth. I'm doing tedious things like glazing with very, very diluted versions of white, like probably 20 and 25 times to get that brightness to where it needs to be, but also get that smoothness to where it needs to be. So at the time of recording this, I, uh, he's sitting right back there. I showed John earlier and he gave me some feedback on it. Uh, probably 60% of the white is done. And I haven't yet started working on the red. I also have some plans for some copper NMM, but that will be discussed in a future episode, uh, by which point the model is hopefully done. That would be really nice to just have it done, a showpiece that it's just kind of like in the chamber. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know, right? Yeah. Just a little... Yeah, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go guns a-blazing. Speaking of in the chamber, you got one in the chamber. Are you going to show up next year to Adepticon with two resin B sentries? Uh... I think you can. <laughs> I think you can only en enter one piece per category. Yeah, so a different category. I'm not doing a GD diorama. That, that's the only one diorama and well, there's the monster. No, there's the little people though too. <laughs> the little people. <laughs> yeah, there's not like a dwarf category, but like the the regular 28 mil size models. And I do have their con exclusive from last year, so I have one of those. Kind of the Damonette looking ones. Yeah, Damonette looking one, and she's got a big like caterpillar. That she's riding. I mean, it's like a, supposed to be like a, some evil worm, but I just think of it as like a little <laughs> fat caterpillar. <laughs> like, doop, 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 doop. From the Bugs Life movie. Oh, I'm full of chocolate. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> need that German caterpillar. Yeah. <laughs> I should paint it like that. <laughs> it's an evil demon. Oh, please ride me. <laughs> yeah, just take the piss. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> take the piss. Look at us. Oh, man. We're so European. I know. Well, I'm British. Oh, right. Not European. Oh, right. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, that's the first catch that you're not actually British. <laughs> you call it European. So, yeah, that's how I've been painting. Drazar. It's getting done. Taking longer, but that's that's part of the plan. How about you, buddy? Uh, let's see. What have I been painting? Let me check the notes. <laughs> you can't remember. Yet. I can't remember. <laughs> um, I've been painting some D&D &D characters. Uh, I needed a little, like, palette cleanser, so to speak. Sure. Something fun, something I know is going to get use. We play our game every other Tuesday that we're going to, I'm going to see it on the table. Um, Tuesday? Excuse Sunday. me. Sunday. Why did I say Tuesday? Today's uh, Tuesday. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Every day is, every day is today. <laughs> um, that's an inspirational quote. <laughs> so on one of those posters, there's just like a, like the outline of a person, like arms raised to the sky yeah. during a sunset. And it oh, says, yeah. every day is today. Yeah. That's motivating me right now. I know. Yeah. I know. Oh, gosh. It's so true though. Every day is today. Yeah. It's a factual statement. <laughs> um, so I uh, painted a little gnome sorceress. Uh, so it's hard to find female gnome sorcerer. <laughs> So really, I can't imagine it's that hard. Yeah, you'd be surprised. Okay, a are, lot you, of, are you leveraging the world of three D printable models? Uh, not for this one. This one is actually uh, for Christmas. A buddy of mine had backed a Kickstarter of all gnomes, and he's like, "I'm just never gonna get her." He's not a painter. His wife was thinking about getting into painting, um, it's but a great just way to start. I mean, just back a whole Kickstarter of oh, uh, one yeah. type of model. Yeah. Well, yeah. She, I mean, they, they're Kickstarter addicts. So oh, okay. this is just the tip of that iceberg. <laughs> um, so for Christmas, he just gave me all of them. Oh, okay. And there's probably 50 different gnomes, men and women and pets and familiars and all this Gnome? stuff. Gnome? Pets? Yeah. Yeah, like a badger. <laughs> <laughs> Very small rocks. <laughs> 
Um, so now you have 50 gnomes. Yeah. And then you're going to paint one of and well, never I paint painted, ever again. Well, I painted one, then I can say I've done it. But the familiars and the pets and the little, the little like fairy dragons and all these kind of, there's a lot of other Ooh, cool little things in there. Diorama additives. Yes. Yeah. Great okay. little parts of nature. Okay. 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 Everybody needs a badger to put somewhere. Yeah. In a, a diorama. Little, yeah. A little Easter egg. Exactly. Absolutely. So, uh, painted to her. Um, we've turned to lately, um, I was telling you this to guild ball for hard to find minis. Yeah. Uh, especially when we're looking at things like alchemists and artificers, um, things that are not just your traditional, like fightery, thiefy, roguey, mm-hmm. wizardy things. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of those in guild ball for both men and women. Cause it feels like the teams in guild ball are split. Yep. Roughly 50, 50 men and women. Definitely. So you can find a, a large variety. Most of them, are kind of their makeup of their um, their aesthetic feels like it fits in the fantasy world fairly well. Definitely. Most of them. So it makes me want to, one of my next characters for D&D needs to actually have been a butcher in his previous life. Then I can find the one of the butcher characters. Honestly, they're all awesome. I know. And the cook models are sick too. Oh, yeah. Um, that's that's the minor guild for the, the butchers, the cooks. They're good too. Oh, man. They should have... Modeled them all after famous celebrity chefs. You said that, yeah. <laughs> you, you said there should be a Gordon Ramsay yes. mini, <laughs> right? I, you, know, Gordon- you, you told me that, and I thought that was how it w- worked out. So I saw the cooks at the source, and I was like, oh, where's the Gordon Ramsay one? <laughs> and I was like, I was shit, sure. that's what just John told me. That's not a real thing. <laughs> I don't see a Julia Childs in any of these. <laughs> where's the Jacques Pepin? Guy Fieri, for yeah. sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely. He's got the flamey shirt. Oh, yeah, dude. And he's got like the the hair just a big giant flame yeah, head how, you gotta do a video on how to paint bleach tips <laughs> <laughs> you can keep that for your channel buddy oh man all right so i've been doing that um and i've been doing some kind of first early levels color swatches testing paint ideas for my color scheme of my army your boner boys my boner boys what, what have you discovered what's the what's the main swatch uh well, there's a there's a, there's gonna be a Trixie True be in this because can we back up a second? What the fuck is a Trixie True? Well, a Trixie True is something <laughs> that I like how you're explaining this it. like it's a thing. <laughs> it's something that's both factual <laughs> and sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you've never heard of Trixie True before. Oh, For geez. some reason, I didn't I didn't. Uh, come to terms with the fact that you were saying the word true like t-r-u-e i just thought you were making up a word like t-r-u a trixie true it's like a fun thing to say all right go on what's your trixie true <laughs> um there's got to be a way that i can get this all done fast okay i mean there's they're, they're skeletons of course i mean white wash dry brush done no washes will be used in now the making seeing, of this now you're just being a try hard yeah well, I mean, yes, washes will be used, but <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I'm not using contrast paint. Damn it. Fine, use a wash. Same thing, just less pigment. I know, but if I paint it and then I and then I wash it, I should have just used contrast paint because that was only one step instead of two. 
Well, I mean, if you prime it white and then wash it with Seraphim Sepia, honestly, Seraphim Sepia and Skeleton Horde are identical products. Mm. One's a little bit more yellow than the other. Mm. Yeah, the, the <laughs> Skeleton Horde looks a little bit more brownie. Definitely. Seraphim Sepia is a little bit more yellowy. But Skeleton Horde isn't like super rich in pigment like Flesh Terror Red is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. going to stain your model brown. It's, it's a nice little wash. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, I want to use a neon somewhere. Hell yeah. It's okay. So I, I bought the golden acrylics neon pink. Hell yeah, you did. And I haven't decided. I think I might go neon green, but I bought one to test out how good it is. It's mm-hmm. super vibrant. Like hurts my eyes to look at it bright. Yeah. Actually, I have a neon green if you want to use it from you have that, that exact range. Oh, have you used it before? I used it on painting a custom uh, keycap for a keyboard. Yes, I have. Was it super vibrant green? Was it like... I didn't give it a fair test, honestly. I didn't like it very much because it was super glossy, but all fluo paint is pretty glossy. Okay. Um, so, but that was a long time ago. So we'll, more testing needs to happen. Okay. Well, we'll send it back to the lab. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Send it back to the lab. <laughs> the same Deliberate folk, further. The same folks that found us the details on the Blood Knights <laughs> will be doing this research. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's just your two dogs <laughs> with like fake glasses on. <laughs> What is in little like doggy lab coats? Which is kind of funny. Lab oh, coat. They are wearing lab coats. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Because uh, they have coats of fur in their labs. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, let's get into the sponsor for this video. A frontier that hasn't really been explored when it comes to RPG games is the audio experience. We're getting there with the visual experience. There's a lot of good things for terrain and especially miniatures coming out, but there's gotta be a better way for us to massage our ear canals. Ah, ah. The massaging of ear canals. Yeah. And how would we go about doing that? You say, and I have the answer. The answer would be, we need the technology. Yes, we do. And luckily we are in the 21st century and such a technology now exists. Something that doesn't require a silly monthly fee or is so clunky to use that it impedes my dungeon mastery. <laughs> but maybe even a bit modifiable to my needs. Now, John, it sounds like you have something very specific in mind right now. I'm talking about RPG sounds, Scott. RPG Sounds is brought to us by Cast and Play, a group of artists, gamers, storytellers, and designers that not only create 3D printable miniatures, but they're also the sponsor of this episode. How does that work out? John, do you know of any iconic sound effects? (laughs) The system is down. (laughs) So what do you mean by like an iconic sound effect? Probably like the Metal Gear Solid, uh, someone just noticed you sound. The Or the uh, Inception sound. Yes. <laughs> RPG Sounds is a software that allows dungeon masters to create immersive scenarios for their players, either via unique soundscapes or specific sound effects that are triggered when certain things happen. So sounds like that you can actually import into the RPG software and bring it all into the game for you and they also include a whole lot of their own built-in sounds so your experience is immersive is one of a kind and fits for your campaign so an important factor is that you can 
also import your own sounds into mm -hmm. the software. So even though there's a vast array of options already for you, this software will grow with you, not only through your current campaign, if you want reoccurring sound effects, but also through the years as you import from new campaigns, you can still look at what you did a year ago or a decade ago. One of my favorite features of the RPG sound software is that based on where your party is located, it will modify the sound effects to match. So for instance, if you set up the program to say, I'm in a cave, all of the sound effects like rocks falling or things like that will be echoey. So it all kind of marries those things together in a nice way. You can find out all about the Kickstarter by Cast and Play RPG Sounds in the notes below. Thank you, Cast and Play, for sponsoring this video. Now let's get back to the podcast. Mm. In today's episode, we want to talk about miniature painting classes, what we've learned from taking them over the course of the last years, uh, teaching a few of them, and just like certain things that we've learned to look for in good classes and also certain ways that you can decide how on uh, which classes you want to take, whether it's at a convention or whether maybe a cool uh, local painter is doing a cheapo class or some big name guy is rolling through your town and charging big bucks, whether or not you should take it or not take it. So, let's get started. Um, that was that was a really good description. Thank you. I'm really I'm a professional. Yeah, that was like I couldn't think of anything you should have done a separate take on. For that. <laughs> well, thank you. Because uh, we only do one take, so it works well. <laughs> uh, so, do you remember the first miniature painting class you ever took? Yes. Okay. It, it was with you. Oh, that was the first one? Yeah, the one with Sam Lenz. Okay, so the first one you took. Can you describe your experience? Okay. Scott says, hey, I got Sam Lenz coming to town to do a two-day mini painting class, and I feel like I am... What? Go. Okay. You were doing finger points, and I, I didn't know I, if that was me and I needed to stop. No, you're great. I want to say something about that, though. But go. I'm, I'm helping coordinate a mini painting class for Sam Lenz mm -hmm. and I suck at doing this and I need more people to come so please come <laughs> I think that was word for word what you said <laughs> I suck at doing this uh, and so I said heck yeah I'll do that Sam looks like an amazing mini painter and it was your birthday it was just yeah that was my birthday my my wife gave it to me as a birthday present yeah and so it was, and it was right around my birthday my real birthday I think yeah yeah I remember that don't do that don't fart on my <laughs> podcast <laughs> what Dude, you just farted all the way through the advertisement. Yeah, no one knew, though. <laughs> well, my nose did. <laughs> um, we had chicken nuggies for lunch. Yeah, 30 of them. We, we split 30, and we were like, we should have got 30 more. Yeah, you slammed them in 10 minutes, dude. <laughs> all right, anyway, Sam rose through town. Johnny Boy takes the class. It's a two-day-long class. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how classes were supposed to go. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we've all had some form of formal education before. And it kind of feels like that's where all of these kind of start with, is you have to have some kind of, of a rubric, of a goal, of a, uh, a focus of the class or classes uh, over one day or multiple. And oftentimes that feels uh, uh, from a, a, an area of comfortability. Because it's like, oh, when I was in high school, this was how a class worked. Yeah, you when started I, out with the syllabus. Yep. Or I went to a, a technical school or I went to, to get a bachelor's degree or whatever. And, and so it comes from that area of feeling something we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's usually where, where folks 
when they're looking at designing a class or teaching a class, that's where they start with. Um, and Sam had that laid out. Like he had like four separate things that we were going to do over the course of two days mm -hmm. and how they kind of worked together and built off each other and rounded out to our final task being the one that was kind of pulling everything together to have the biggest effect on our miniature painting as a whole. Right. So was that an accurate description? Sure. Yeah, that was great. Okay. I just wanted you to talk about how you felt and experienced oh, it. Oh, how did I feel? Well, yeah. But your time's up now. My turn. No, okay. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, you, if that, okay. That's a kind of a crazy, not crazy, but that's a big first experience. You just, you have never done a class before. The first one you do is 16 hours of hardcore painting. Mm. So like the first one I did was a two hour class at Adepticon. So okay. it wasn't as intense. I was just curious, like you I mean, actually, you might have had some some expectations because of various things you do at work, right? Yeah. Yeah, I go through, I do a lot of trainings, whether giving trainings and teachings myself to other professionals and going through, going to different conventions or shows or, um, you know, educational foundation opportunities that I, I've experienced with that. And, and it actually did follow a format that I was able to follow and be fairly comfortable with. Mm. Um, cool. Because... I had never done one before. Um, I just kind of was like, I'm just going to go along for the ride. And I didn't set expectations to, I, I really didn't say I, I need to be better at this or this better do this for me. Otherwise mm -hmm. it's going to feel like a waste. Mm -hmm. I find that that's typically, at least for me, the best way to approach it. So I didn't have expectations. And I thought that Sam was an amazing painter and that I will naturally follow whatever his lead is because you know he's he's the one that's gonna know what's right and wrong because he's been through this after doing it for so many years um and i felt like that worked well that just kind of just follow their lead don't you know don't get too knee deep in anything just let whatever naturally absorbs for you let it happen mm -hmm. um and i ended up taking out a good amount from that class i think there was really two main things that I learned from that class yeah. that I took away and that I ended up using. Um, what you say, John, it was 16 hours and you learned two things. Well, sometimes you need to have time to watch, to absorb, to practice, to really have something um, leave an impact for you. Mm -hmm. And one of those things was really how to understand and how to utilize wet blending of base coats. Sure, yeah. And it, and to say that that is a, a an aid to my painting is an understatement because that that's such a great foundation to every single thing you paint, at least for me, for my style of painting. So I thought it was worth it for sure. Sick. Okay. Yeah. The first class I ever took was 2016 at Epicon. I took a class taught by Ben Comets called How to Paint Faces. And this was the first time that I ever experienced a three-zone uh, a thing for a face, top yellow, mid red, bottom blue mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, so it was like, wow, Ben is a genius. Like I've never heard of this. This makes total sense. Uh, so it blew my, my brain away. And then he had a little bust that was probably 54 mil scale bust, um, that we painted and it was cool and I had fun and I learned a lot. And that kind of was like, wow, what, what other classes can I take and learn from? I, I took probably in 2016, probably four classes. Mm. You know, that's pretty common for someone who goes to Adepticon the first time. I take a buttload of classes, and so I took a lot. So that was that was a great experience. Um, but one thing, the reason why I was waving my finger earlier at you was uh, people always ask the question like, oh, man, I live in an area where 
no one ever comes through. No one comes to Minneapolis. The reason why people have come to Minneapolis and have started to was because you got to be the goddamn change you want to see in the world. Okay, mm. you got to be Gandhi. Okay, no, you're not gonna be Gandhi. But I reached out to Caleb Wissenbeck and I was like, hey, there are people here that will listen to you and you can make money. Mm-hmm. If you flash that green, people will come. Okay, so if you can organize an event for a painter that you like and you want to swing through, and you can show them, you know, like. If you, you know, ask them how much do you need to charge per seat and how many people do you need there uh, to be for it to work for you and for you to make money. And they'll tell you a number. They'll be like 200 bucks a head, 300 bucks a head, whatever it is. And if you can prove there are people that are going to pay that ticket price, they will come and teach a class in your area. So if you are the kind of person who's like, you know, not having a lot of great classes, uh, you know, consider like leveraging the local people in your area and the gaming groups and like the various stores and seeing like, you know, how many people can I get to come to a class? And uh, if you have enough, you can, you can get a lot of people to come through to your area. It's not, it's not too difficult. So yeah, that, that's definitely a thing people have asked a lot that I want to address right now. Um, but yeah, we've taken classes from Caleb Wissenbeck, from Sam Lenz, long classes and then a, a myriad other classes of various lengths, two hours, four hours, uh, three hours at various cons and things like that. Yep. Yeah. A lot of those two to four hour classes are, mm-hmm. are typical at conventions. Um, you mentioned the, the first timer going to a con and their, their whole schedule is packed with classes. Yep. Yep. And you know, whenever we're talking with somebody new or somebody whatever at a convention and they explain how their their schedule and it's all like packed, like they're taking twenty five credits a semester yeah. or something. Yeah. I'm like, hey Rook, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. First timer, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like no, you, you gotta have time to relax and have fun and stuff like that. Yeah. You can't jam pack it with classes from nine AM to nine PM. I I mean, and I'm sure they're, the, the seats sell out, and I understand there's awesomeness and value, but I, for the life of me, cannot figure out why someone would want, would want to take a three-day, eight-hour-a-day workshop <sighs> at a convention. Yeah, you're, you're there for the convention. Yeah. I mean, okay, I can understand. If you're there by yourself and you don't have any friends with you, that's why I took them. Yeah. Because like I, I, there was no one for me to hang out with. Yeah. So I just did that. If that, I mean, if that, I guess is I'm here to take a class by so-and-so. Mm-hmm. It just happens to be that the class is at the, at a convention. Yep. I guess maybe that's a different way to approach the whole weekend experience. Yep. yep. So I'm, I'm totally behind that. But by and large, I think most of us are like, we're here for the convention and we're going to take some classes while we're here. Mm-hmm. So there is a middle ground, you know, we had zero classes on our calendar for Adepticon this year, Scott. <laughs> yeah. Are we going to tear off a bandaid a little bit and explain why? Or do you want me to do it and you can throw me in front of the bus? I'm um, fine with that. No, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if it's because we are growing and learning as miniature painters or, or because we've taken uh, classes in the past, but there's this expectation when you go into a class that... I don't know. You're going to learn something foundational every single time and it's going to blow your socks off. And that, that is simply not the case. Um, sometimes you'll learn something really valuable and sometimes it'll feel like what you're doing is 90% a waste of time. And it's not necessarily because um, the instructor is bad. It's because maybe uh, you didn't know exactly what the curriculum was walking in and yeah. you were uh, being taught a bunch of things you already knew um, or because sometimes the curriculum is is poorly put together. So uh, 
okay, I, I'm not saying that I'm a, an amazing teacher, but there is definitely a difference between someone who's very good at what they do and someone who just knows how to explain what they're very mm-hmm. good at doing. Um, so sometimes those two aren't linked and you'll take a class from a person who's super good at painting, but can't really explain what's going on uh, in their head to, to have them get that amazing result. And so that can be a point of, of disappointment where it's like, I love X painter, but boy, do they suck at explaining things or add another layer of difficulty on top of that. They don't speak the native language here in, in, in English. And that makes it even harder for them to explain stuff when, when you're not speaking your native tongue. Um, so yeah, th- there's a lot of disappointment for me personally mixed up in classes for any number of those reasons. Yeah. I think you touched on kind of my big rocks that I wanted to move with, with that. Um, and that's the thing is, is you don't always know going into it. And yeah. sometimes you have to just kind of, um, just wing it and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, I know me personally over the last two years of Adepticon, I did that and was almost entirely disappointed. Yeah. Um, I just, every class I walked out of there frustrated that, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, or it, it didn't teach me what I was expecting it to teach me based on the description, or I saw what they did and it looked really awesome, but they couldn't communicate it. And it, I mean, I, I've come to this point and, and I'm in this area in, in my professional life. And I, again, I'm not saying that I'm the an amazing miniature painting teacher, but I've seen enough in the professional world of the best people in the world are not the best teachers in the world. No, it's, it's true for a lot of different uh, careers as well. Yep. And in being a, a great teacher is more than just being really good at, at that task. And so some of the people that I've learned a ton from had nothing to do with how good their final product was. It was really about relating it to something that I can absorb Using, using both the visual medium of we're here together, let me do it in real time while I'm communicating exactly how and why I'm making the decisions I'm making, what I'm looking for to create here, and how I know I'm on the right track or where to readjust. All of this is going in my ear holes while watching them paint, going through my eye holes, <laughs> and smelling the nerd BO through my nose holes <laughs> is just... is. It's, it's very necessary, and oftentimes we miss some of that in a class. I would rather a teacher spend 50-plus hours on really focusing their curriculum and their teaching style than them spend 50 hours on becoming a better painter so they think that can make them a better teacher. Being a better teacher is a different skill set entirely. And so I just want... Um, I just, and, and it's a tough thing because we say what to look out for when you're looking to take a class. You don't always know other than checking with other people, right? Check with other folks that you know or that you're, you're in Facebook groups with or in Discord servers with. Hey, is anybody taking a class from so-and-so? I see they're coming to my area or they're going to be at uh, the convention. Um, what did you think? Mm-hmm. How, what was their communication style like? Um, what, what, how much was it was just them showing 
And how much were they interacting with each of you while you were painting so they could give you real-time advice? Sure. How much of that was integrated? Ask the deeper questions that help you learn. Think about when you were a student in whatever aspect of life, how did you learn better? If their teaching style lines up, you'll have a better time. If it is missing something that you know is really necessary or very helpful for you, even if you love their painting, you maybe maybe skip that one and do somebody else. I don't know. So yeah, I want to talk about that. Uh, it's like, how do you know when to take a class and when not to take a class? Like John said, it's hard to know. Like unless people make their curriculum very obvious or they're providing a bunch of cool features that you get when you pay for the class, it's hard to know exactly what the experience is going to be like other than by word of mouth. But but a lesson that I learned about taking classes is that. To, a good determining factor is that you should just take a class from someone that you like their painting of. Mm. You shouldn't take a class from someone because someone else told you they were a good painter or because they've, they're highly accoladed and they have a bunch of Slayer swords or golden demons or crystal brush awards or whatever the hell it is. You should take the class because you like how they paint. If me and John roll through your city and you like how we paint, don't take our class because the class is on how we paint. <laughs> you will be ultimately disappointed. So me and John took a class from Michael Pisarski mm-hmm. and I fucking love Michael Pisarski. Mm-hmm. And maybe John uh, recognized that he's a great painter, but maybe doesn't like his st- style a whole lot. Is that fair to say? Uh, I, I really think some of the things he can pull off is absolutely bananas. Awesome. Yes. So yes. Yeah. I, I'm definitely a fan. Definitely yeah. A fan. Maybe okay. not as you know, boy hardy as you. Yeah, but. we we walked away from that experience differently. You yeah. uh, were a little bit, uh, you know, in that kind of uh, kind of confused how to take what he was saying and apply it to something other than a shoulder pad that we were painting. Yeah. And I was like, this is what I wanted. I wanted to see how Michael paints. And that's what I got to see. I got to see how he approaches painting a large scale uh, NMM object. And I was mostly happy. Now, do I remember a single thing from that class? maybe like 2% of it, yeah. but not a lot, but I still remember enjoying the time. So I think a really important thing is that you like the way the person paints that you're taking the class of. That's what the class is on, how right. they paint. Right. Yep. And there's something to be said about just lifting behind the, the curtain to see how the wizard makes the magic. <laughs> and that that's truthful, truthfully like the parts of it for somebody like um, Michael Pasarski is his nmm is just bananas and he i'm seeing how he actually creates that and so part of the mystery is solved that said it's a small part of the mystery he's just showing the technical aspect of uh, i make really really tiny lines with a really really tiny brush okay all right if if someone told me that one sentence about it and i looked at one of his minis I could have learned what I learned in that class because I got no other communication, no other breakdown of here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. No other like, here's how I'm using this to make this better. It, it was just, it was that one sentence and it bugged the crap out of me. <laughs> that Well, that and I mean, that and we actually just got one shoulder pad of a bust instead of the full bust. I'm pretty sure it was one quarter of a shoulder pad. Yeah, yeah. So everything was, was cut up with saws. And, and again, I didn't have a problem with that. I have a problem with the expectation that we go into a class with that that wasn't described in the course description. Oh yeah. Yeah. That I think oftentimes if I'm on the fence of whether to take a class or not, I read the course description and I ask myself how much effort did they put into creating this course description? And I'm not saying 
the person that wrote four paragraphs is going to be a better class than the person that wrote four sentences. Sure. I'm saying how much effort and focus in editing and really defining as best they could how to communicate what makes their class special. Because if they're going to put the effort into that, that means they put the effort into their curriculum. Yeah. And their curriculum is where a class will live or die. Yeah, dude. It's all about that elevator pitch. If you can succinctly describe your idea to someone about what you want to accomplish, whether it's a movie script, whether it's a class thing, and you can sell them with that pitch, then you know like what your goals are and what you want to accomplish very succinctly. Um, So uh, recently, me and John took a class and we want to talk about our experience with it and what we learned from it. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, Taught a class, not took a class. Sorry, we taught a class, right, in Minneapolis. So... I mean, it all started with that one random class that I taught in in Canada. There was a game store. They're like, hey, you want to come out and teach a class? And I was like, sure. I taught two four-hour classes, one for beginners, one for advanced people. Beginner one went great, had a lot of fun. People were, you know, it was basic concepts. They were enjoying them. Got to the advanced class, and the fucking wheels came off, baby. Oh, baby. Um, I could tell that I was just, I was spiraling out of control. I didn't. I just missed all these things. I have this problem where I get into my own head while I'm in the middle of doing something. And it's like, mm-hmm. not now, figure it out later. Yeah. You got you, you to gotta bail the water out of this sinking <laughs> ship. <laughs> not worry about the next ship right right, right yet. Uh, so, yeah. So, we took, I took that class. And then I, I had a few things that I knew could really improve a class. And then I got John involved in that curriculum. And then we made uh, what I think is a little little bit better than what I had experienced, or sorry, uh, what I thought would be the best class based on that failure of an experience. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I guess the the first thing is that, I don't know, you're there for 16 hours. If you're not having fun, it's like a miserable 16 hours. Oh, right. Because you're grinding on that model for a long time and learning really crunchy topics the entire time. So there needs to be an element of fun. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a heavy experience, no matter which way you, you, you you pull, peel the banana. Sure. (laughs) Not pull the banana. Don't be pulling people's bananas. (laughs) Yeah. That don't finger paint the monkey (laughs) and and pull its banana. Um, Yeah. It's going to be heavy. If it's not heavy and it's all kind of like go with the flow and laid back or whatever, you're equally going to disappoint the people in the class because they really wanted to get something out of it. And in yeah, order to do that, concrete. you you do have to really invest and really kind of hammer away and be deep, knee deep into this and really crank it out. Mm-hmm. And that's the downside. By doing that, you are setting this like slow motion drive off a cliff. <laughs> and how do we make some pauses and make fun of the fact we're driving off a cliff before we hit play again and then keep falling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So one thing that John devised for our class was a little bit of a, uh, a little, <laughs> why am I blanking on what this is called? A trivia game? Trivia game. Yeah. So it was a trivia game about miniature painting mm-hmm. and about uh, just the podcast and, and the YouTube channel and things like that. Fun stuff having Fun. to do with painting. You're right. So like in between, we had our course laid out in chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, in between chapters, uh, we we asked one or two trivia questions and each team, which was split right down the middle, uh, the students got to decide, you know, uh, to nominate one person to answer the question. Mm-hmm. And they could they could canvas their team for an answer if they needed that, and then uh, they'd get a point. And toward the end of the evening, um, they uh, like there was a you know a winning and a losing team, and they would get some raffle prizes. And then 
the losers would get some as well, but they get like less or whatever. Yeah. And, but the, yeah. The, it's funny. It actually ended up being a tie. Yeah. Um, the, the greatest part of that is the last question you asked and what we thought was going to happen and what actually happened. Right. It's like the question that John asked for the tiebreaker, because they were tied, was what's the one thing you need to do be, to be a better miniature painter? Yeah, that was the question. And I had the answer written down. I hadn't even considered what they were all going to say. And, and yeah, immediately they're all like, oh, we know the answer. And I was just like, what? What? Uh, and John's answer was get good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a joke. It was a joke. Would also have accepted don't suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah kind would... of the same vein. Yeah. 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 And no, they all said paint more minis. Yeah. And we we're like, what the fuck? Why did we think of that? <laughs> yeah. Well, then we got, we got it on camera because I think we, we realized it when they all said, oh, we all know. Let's all say it together. And then we were like, oh, no. <laughs> Light bulb. Right. So then you got, you got it on camera yeah. and used it in the video. Yeah. Um, which was awesome. I was like, oh, damn. That would have been even cooler if we would have thought of that and we had been planning that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, we would have looked like like such all-stars. Um, <laughs> and the different, the funny thing was, like, because it's a two-day class, we went home the first night and we're chilling after supper and kind of, like, decompressing. And we're like, we need to add new trivia questions based on things that happened today because mm. when you're in a class especially a multi-day class or even one one eight-hour day if you set up an environment of of like of a community of us all here together we're all, none of us are strangers and we, we all want to hear for the same purpose and they all feel like that they're not strangers anymore which is was a primary focus for us in the first hour of the class is we didn't want people to be strangers anymore no and now suddenly after day one we had inside jokes we had things that happened from the world outside mm -hmm. and from in the, the classroom over with a giant drum group that was going while oh we're trying to gosh, teach yeah um from inside jokes that were made and then people laughed and we and it ran with it from stuff that happened at lunch all these things right and we we brought those back into day two as trivia questions mm -hmm. and they it brought us even further together. And it's like, oh, now when someone posts something on Instagram and they mention something, it's like, we've all gone through this. And so suddenly this grinding 16 hours of painting over two days doesn't feel so heavy. And it's not that they did less work. It's that their mind wasn't so focused on the heaviness yeah. and being tired and exhausted yeah. and mentally taxed. Right, yeah. We're not going straight from understanding the anatomy of a human face right into understanding how to paint reflective fabric it's like we gotta take a little break and just chill for a bit so that was a good thing that introduced some humor that wasn't my idea at all that was entirely john's idea and i freaking loved it that was amazing um the other problem that classes often have and that was that was a problem with the class that i taught in canada was that you're just not going to finish the model you're going to paint probably to the standard that uh maybe someone would want to finish it too so and this happens with all classes. You're either rushing toward the end or you're maybe skipping over certain details to kind of get to the more important ones. So the class needed to come with some kind of thing that backs up the education so people can go back and learn about what they were taught in the class and be reminded of some of the key concepts. So before we taught any class, I wanted to get that video uh, thing what do you want to call it? A video, video digital course in place so every single student could get that thing so they could reference it later on and remember what was being taught in the class because the two kind of line up pretty nicely yeah so that was a, that was definitely a learning lesson from the canada class that i wanted to implement and i think i said it in the video at some point as well um but what else did we learn from teaching the class that we could improve it maybe with uh, one thing we talked about 
you know, someone's, someone's sales pitch or their course description. Yeah. Um, the thing that we spent a lot of time on and a lot of hours on a lot of edits, a lot of back and forth of both of our perspectives was actually creating our full, full curriculum. Mm. And I don't think that's something to gloss over lightly. Um, when we talk about what it takes for somebody to put on a painting class, um, a lot of times you hear or think about the time it took them to prep and pre and prime all the minis that we're all going to paint. That should be a drop in the bucket compared the, to the effort you put in yeah. to the structure and the purpose of every part of this class and how that ties into your total goal for that that weekend or that day. Right. And we, we did a lot of edits and we spent a lot of time. And the greatest part about it is it's a, it's a living, breathing thing. Yes. We go back to it and we're like, okay, this worked great. This we should tweak here. This, do we need this at all? This we should spend more time here. This yeah. we would make notes on details of important things. We went back and on day two, first thing about day two, Scott says, "We need to walk through how to build your wet palette." We're taking oh, the, we're taking yeah. for granted that everybody knows the way to best utilize a wet palette in when you when you build it. And I'm sure many of you are like, "Well, it's pretty simple. You put paper down and wet." Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but everyone was struggling with it, and all their papers were super wrinkly, and they were fighting against their tools, and it was slowing down what the main key concept was supposed to be. I was running back and forth between the sink, doing it for certain people because theirs was like a total shamble. Yep. So, yeah, it's just about setting everybody up for success, and yeah. that was an example of something that we can spend three minutes at the start make sure everyone's set up for success equally so we don't have any roadblocks unnecessarily put in our own way mm -hmm. so we can get get you what you need to to really get the most out of the class absolutely so the curriculum is a big thing in the in curriculum writing and, and outlining and, and understanding your key points what is your mission statement for this whole class how yeah. are you tying this in who is your audience what is the purpose what are your key messages what is the tone all these things they, it's not the same as being a good mini painter. And there takes some research and some effort into how these things are crafted to really put on paper and then to run with it to make it live. So that was a lot of work. Yeah. And um, hopefully we're going to do enough of these classes where we're like, yes, that work really kind of feels like it's paying dividends right yeah but i don't want i don't want this podcast to only seem like we're trying to advertise our own classwork um it's starting to feel like that a little bit yeah it is um if you are wanting to either you have a class and you want to improve the curriculum i'm not saying that we are the end all be all example of what a great curriculum is but john mentioned a bunch of great things just right there it's like just take it all the way back to what your goals are who is your target audience? What kind of person are you trying to teach to? And define that person super well so that no one takes your class and is disappointed because either A, they have no freaking clue what you're doing and you need to start at, at a way lower understanding level or they're way beyond you and this is a total waste of their time. So figure out what you wanna teach. Define it in like three or two goals. Find out who you want to teach it to. Like, how, what is that audience, or what kind of audience is going to want to learn those things that you want to teach? And then make sure your curriculum is broken up into sections, maybe, and make sure each section is trying to uh, is aimed back at what your goals are, um, so that nothing seems irrelevant and everything seems like it's kind of flying under the same mast of what your goals are. So that's a that's a great high level way to do it. Um, you know, I in a previous life I was an engineer. Mm -hmm. And I'm now a, a content creator, a YouTuber. I kind of wish that 
I used to be a teacher. Mm. So I would have had a formal uh, education on how to educate. Because <laughs> uh, I feel like that would help me more right now than my engineering career did. Like I got to write my own Discord bot. That's about all it's helped me with so far. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot more from the technical, scientific, mathematical side that helps you more than you probably recognize. I suppose so. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah. You complainer. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, because I mean, I would love, you know, what, like knowing the way that people learn and being able to, you know, really formulate something that's Mm -hmm. standardized and feels right. It feels like still kind of winging it. Mm. I feel like a lot of that comes with like anything in life is you just need more experience. You need more hours clocked. Yeah. And that's, that's just it. You know, for all of us, if you make this a priority, you make a commitment. If, if you are deciding for yourself, I think I might want to do a beginner mini painting class for my local hobby store. Or I think I want to dip my toe into painting at a convention, a painting class at a convention. Mm -hmm. You need to make that a priority and make it, uh, make it a serious, um, venture for yourself mm-hmm. instead of just saying I paint I'll show up I'll kind of have some ideas in place and we'll roll with it mm-hmm. and have, making a good class is not saying um, this is a class on weathering that doesn't make a good class because it's easy to come up with a concept it's easy to come up with something like I'm pretty good at doing this thing so I'll just do a class on it that doesn't mean it's going to be a good class just because you're it's a thing you're proud of that you do well um, that's a good start it's a it's a great place to start i'm yeah. not saying don't do a class on that yeah i'm saying don't just lean on that that will make it good right um one thing that i've uh, to pull this back from us a little bit i mean it's obviously something that we addressed but i struggle with the uh actual logistics in a room with seeing the work that's being done by the teacher and it's allowed for the class to all have the same worthwhile visual experience. Okay. Oftentimes in a class, you get one of two things. You get an over-the-shoulder camera that's projected on a TV or a projector. Oftentimes, sometimes it's on a great big, clear big screen. That seems to be the rarity. Um, oftentimes it's on a small screen or the, the class is so deep. If you're sitting in the, sec- the back half of the class, you're painting with a tiny, tiny, tiny thing even if it's on a TV or a projector in the front of the, the class, you can't see it really well. Yeah. That's option one. Option the second is everybody in the class. I hate this. Come around me and let's hover over my shoulder and get a front and get in front of me. That's good for about six people worth of class. Yeah. You got more than that. And this is an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Half of your class, whether you think so or not, at least half of your class has a terrible overall experience because they can't see they can't from the proper see angle. Yeah. And my point is to help you understand why I'm painting the way I'm painting, how I'm painting, decisions that I'm making, technical application, all that stuff. You're losing all of that. You're losing all of that if they can't see it. So that's something we address. We've we've experienced great classes where it wasn't an issue at all. Yeah. But for every class that it's not an issue, I've got at least one, probably two classes that it is an issue that I've, that I've taken. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought of another thing that'd be helpful for people when they're deciding on what classes to take and what will be valuable for them. When I look back uh, amongst the maybe 10 to 15 different classes I've taken, the ones that always stick out as being great are when I take a class about something I have no idea about. Uh, so I took a class that was a speed painting class with Rafaela Pica, and I've mentioned this before in the past, and it, it was so much fun, and it inspired me to 
take up speed painting. And I have been practicing what he taught in that class for two years now at this point. And I, and I love it. It's been a foundational thing for me about how I paint faster. And he started with a very simple, like, uh, description of what we're going to focus on and why we're going to focus on it. There was no TV. We didn't paint anything. He painted something and then handed it around in stages. And I took a picture of each stage uh, when it got handed it around. But there wasn't there wasn't a, a camera over his shoulder. He was just so good at explaining uh, what he was doing and why he why he wanted to do it. That was the beauty of it. But I think the real beauty was that at that point in my life, speed painting wasn't a thing. It was just like I have one way of painting, and it's just like yeah. five hours per mini. Yeah, minimum. Period. And so it's just like, it blew my mind, the considerations that he was taking. So if you're looking to take a class and you're really good at NMM, probably don't take an NMM class because while you will pick up one or two gems, you will waste 90% of your time in that class. And it will feel, I think, like a disappointment. But if you're not good at all at speed painting or you're not good at all at basing or weathering or something like that, take a class. It'll feel like it has way more value because you're learning so much more stuff. Yeah, because there's all these different these different bars on our internal painting, you know, schedule here. And maybe my NMM is up to a seven out of 10. Yeah. But a lot of these other ones are twos and threes. Yeah. Take, yeah, take, 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 a, take a two and three and raise it up to a five or a six. Cause that feels like you're, you're leveling up. Yeah. I'm going to hit level 16 soon. If you, if yeah. you do all this level up is a great word. It's yeah. like, I just put a new tool in my pocket that I'm going to use on different things and, and apply in different ways absolutely level up mm-hmm. and i feel like a lot of folks t- when they choose to take what classes they take at conventions especially that the ones that stick out to them typically fall under that most conversations i've had is like i don't understand mm nmm at all i'm definitely gonna take an nmm class the tough thing with that is nmm is a great example of this if there's a lot of other foundational things that really can level you up quicker being foundational at mm nmm is not as valuable as getting smooth feathering down and glazing down and understanding how to build up contrast with light and shadows that's just maybe that's just my opinion but oftentimes people jump to that one because it's a real big kind of hot topic yeah it's like if you can do good nmm that means you makes you an awesome mini painter yeah sure and i tend to think or maybe it's just because i don't think i do great nmm by any stretch of the imagination. But if I can do a lot of these other things really well, I'll level that up later. But overall, my minis will look better. Yeah. There's a lot rolled up in NMM, the topic, mm-hmm. um, that make it something really hard to teach in two hours. Yeah. Uh, at least in my opinion. Maybe I'm just over, remember it's exaggerating what's, you know, the, what the amount of you need to understand to effectively pull off uh, non-metallic metal. But it's, I don't know. I, I don't think I could teach NMM in two hours and have anyone walk away feeling like, yeah, I'm going to give this a shot. They're still mm-hmm. going to be scared or confused or something. I'm still confused. Yeah. It's a confusing topic, <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't know how the heck I'm going to teach this. So people, when we took our class, they asked us, how do you feel? And by the way, everyone took our class was super fucking nice. Yeah. We had an awesome, awesome class. Yeah. We, we went out to uh, a local brewery. There's a ton of breweries in Northeast Minneapolis. Um, we went out to one we could walk to. I think it was Abel. Um, and uh, they invited us out there and they were super nice. And then, you know, one of the guys was asking me, he's like, how do you feel? And I was like, I have no, I have no clue. All I'm thinking about is how do I make it better next time? Yeah. Um, well, how are you feeling? 
I was feeling, oh, it did. Was that before or after? That was before we read the surveys. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Okay. So when we finished our class, we had, I won't call it an extensive, but really we put a bunch of time into making a survey that we yeah. thought would really help us improve the course by being very pointed in the questions we asked. And all I was thinking of is we, we did it on paper and made them all fill them out, gave them time at the end. Yeah. So they weren't rushed. We didn't have to go hound them later for a, an online survey. Yep. We got it done. They were more than happy to do it. And all I'm thinking of when they're like, what are you guys, how are you guys feeling? I was like, I want to get the hell out of here and read those surveys. I want to <laughs> know how to make this better. And that was the very first thing we did. We literally, right, once we got in the car, yeah, yeah. <laughs> got in the car, I started driving, you started reading out loud. And, yeah. and I think that was, we learned a lot from that, yeah. but also it was reassuring the things we already were talking about and thinking about that we wanted to improve upon or change or tweak. They mentioned some of those things. So it's reinforcement um, for decision-making going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you're teaching a class, don't be afraid to ask for a survey because an anonymous one, people, they're not, when you walk up to them, be like, you know, how'd you join the class? They're not going to be like, it was shit. And here's how it was shit. <laughs> no one's going to say that to you. They're too nice. Everyone, every mini painter is so nice. Maybe one or two would, you know, do that, but they're rotten eggs. So a survey at the end of the class is, I mean, any, any educational experience is a great idea. So you can get just great unfettered feedback about how good you did. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, there's some ego death involved. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, mostly it's, it's for the better. Yeah. You have to be willing to take that harsh feedback. And I think if you really truly want to Im improve and, and have this as a skill in your pocket, which is teaching, then you'll take that feedback and you'll be appreciative of it. Yeah. It's like mini painting. Everyone seeks out feedback. Like it's freaking gold, right? Right. So the same thing for anything you're trying to improve that as, uh, as a skill in your life. You want yeah. that feedback. We encourage people to take mini painting classes. Absolutely. But remember you are the customer. You are paying a person for a product or a service. In this case, it's yeah. kind of both. Yeah, a little bit of both. Mostly the service, though. Yeah. And so we just want you to be active in that. Um, we want to help you in making decisions for what you decide to spend your money on. Mm -hmm. um, and we want you to learn from the classes you take in that you think are, are great or terrible or everywhere in between to help you um, up your mini painting game in the future for future classes you take. Mm -hmm. That's kind of was our catalyst for this topic this month. Um, and a lot of stuff that we've been like toiling through from the creation to the, to the implementation, to the post event breakdown, to the um, editing and improvements to our class, we felt like is really fresh on our mind. Yeah. And then we thought it was a timely uh, time, timely time <laughs> to, uh, to discuss this in a podcast. Yeah, definitely. And it made even, it would have made even more sense if Adepticon was actually happening. Right. Fucking rip, dude. Right. Uh, but we weren't going to take any classes, so maybe it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain people that I really want to take a class of. Yeah. Oh, maybe from. we should explain why we don't have any, don't want to take a class. It's not because the classes are bad. No. So maybe some of them are bad. Some of them are great. Uh, it's because usually Adepticon occurs right at the end of incredibly intense painting. Yes. Um, and you don't want to paint more. <laughs> when you go to a miniature painting convention, you just want to be 
high and drunk off your mind for five days straight talking to nerds uh so it's not it's not because we don't like the classes it's just because we want to take a break yeah we're ready for for a mental break and i think i learned that my first year is like just grinding out to get that crystal brush piece done and stressing and stressing and putting every last eek of an hour i could up until we left in my truck to go to adepticon and when i got there i'm like I got a class today. Uh, (laughs) Or you like wake up at like 10 a.m. I have a class in 30 minutes. Like, oh, geez. Yeah. And I still think that there's some value in in doing that. And like last year we took two and that felt pretty good. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think one or two would still be good because you just kind of go at it with, I don't need to like solve all the world's mysteries in this two hour class. Yeah. Be easier on yourself. Try to get one or two golden nuggets out of it. That's it. Get one or two things that resonate with you. Um, Oh, that does remind me when you were talking about your digital course, you have another amazing resource that you created for our class. Um, Maybe we won't toot our own horn even more. But one thing that I always, I always have issues with is that um, information dissolving in my brain. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like sometimes you're in the middle of a convention or it was a two hour course in the matter of the four day convention. And a week later I'm like, what was the, I know he used really small scratchy lines and he did some gray and some lighter gray, but I can't recall the big things I'm supposed to take away from this. Yeah. Um, so you either need to be awesome at reiterating your point four five times over the course of your class. So it <laughs> yeah. does sink in. Yeah. Yeah. Or you need to let them leave with something that it allows their brain to be brought back up to what they learned in your class yeah. and to be able to continue it. Cause it's about, it's not about that four hour class. It's about six months from now. Oh, yeah. Did you actually implement something from that four-hour class? Yeah. And if you didn't, it doesn't matter how much fun you had because it didn't make you a better mini painter. That's the goal. That's a good point. So, yeah, we created a little laminated spiral-bound booklet mm-hmm. with, like, hot tips uh, just from the various individual chapters, like, really briefly summarized so you could just take yep. it and walk away with that. Yep. With visual sense, like, oh, yeah, visually, that's how we did it. Okay, these were the, the steps we did to do it. And zoop, I let that soak in with the memory of doing it myself in the mm-hmm. class. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you're back where you want to be. All right, that's it for the topic. Hopefully it didn't come off as just tooting our own horns and being like, we're the greatest in the world because we certainly aren't. We have definitely things to learn about how to yeah. be better educators about miniature painters and also just becoming better miniature painters in general. Yeah. Um, so that's just our experience with teaching classes, what we have learned. Um, so with that out of the way, onto the newsy news. Newsy news. Uh, I just wanted to bring up something real quick in the news, and that is the, as much as I don't want to spend a single breath talking about COVID-19 <laughs> on this podcast, because I think that this should be uh, a mental and, and emotional relief from things like that, uh, I wanted to just briefly talk about our opportunities right? I'm going to call them opportunities. Our opportunities to spend time practicing social distancing and getting our minis painted. Yeah. What have you guys been painting? Yeah. So hopefully everyone is taking this opportunity to not only, you know, take care of yourself and your loved ones, but, uh, Get into that pile of shame and show it who's boss. Heck yeah. Do you think the word or the phrase social distancing is a nice way to say quarantine? 
not really, because I think social distancing is is more about physical distance. It's supposed to be like a six foot distance. Like you're not oh. physically close. It's not like isolation. Like right now, we are not being socially distant. Well, we are to everybody except for each other. <laughs> okay. okay. So if we both don't have it, we're fine. Yeah, we're well, gonna, we spend all day and then all night tonight painting in here. If we you, are doing a great job. Yeah. If you do have it, you were spitting my mouth earlier. So <laughs> you, you have it. If you got it, I got it. Surprise, Amber. I'm coming home with a new little bug. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in other news, freaking Duncan Jr. Rhodes. Is, there a, is he a junior? Yeah, I think his Instagram handle has junior in the title. Uh, don't call me on that. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to call him junior from now on. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, he came out with a bang. He released some content on his YouTube channel. Yeah, and he's been knocking out videos. Yeah. And I think we called this, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, yes, we did. Uh, I mean, you can go back to a podcast and you can hear it. We say he's going to make a channel. Um, but... Uh, the one thing I love that he's doing is he started out with a website creating a mailing list of people that are interested in, in paying for like a service on his site. I forget what he calls it. Like the, the Academy, the Academy. Oh. Right. Why, why, what was that sound? What was that word? He's like, it's an Academy. Yeah. Those, yeah. I had to come up with a name for like the website that I uh, put my digital courses on. I called it the oh, poop smith the, the, the miniature school for many people kind of like the <laughs> wizarding school, school for for, isn't that that's the harry potter reference isn't it the wizarding school for hogwarts no. school of witchcraft and wizardry no okay then i'm wrong i'm wrong about something doesn't matter um but yeah academy whatever um but yeah he's coming out with vids and surprise they're very similar to the ones yeah, he did. They look the awfully familiar. They're very similar to the GW ones. He's like, I feel like he's got like a, like a, what do you call it? A autopilot mode where like, if he just like puts a, pushes a button behind his ear and he's like, today we'll talk about the lamenters and how we're going to, like, like his tone and the way he talks and the words he uses to describe no matter what he's painting is like, God damn, that sounds exactly how it sounded on his Warhammer videos. Dude's a professional. Yeah. yeah. He it just cranks it out, and it just feels like, oh, yeah, I just can sit back in the saddle. I'm used to dunking videos. <laughs> yeah. I am totally familiar with this. So, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, We're not trying to say that he should change the way he makes videos, okay? No. So please, British people, pump the brakes on <laughs> destroying me in the comment section. I'm not trying to say that he needs to make videos like I make videos. But, yeah, they're, they're very similar to the ones on the GW channel. And for a lot of people... That is exactly what they want. Yep. And yeah, it's great. And it's just, it's, it's Duncan Unchained. He doesn't <laughs> have to use GW palette paper or whatever. He can use whatever he wants. Yeah, so I'm using an army painter wash one time. Yep. I'm like, oh, my brain exploded. Yeah. <laughs> Still no wet palette though. Still no wet palette. He likes that hard palette. Well. Masochist. Yikes on bikes. <laughs> Every time I see that, really, and even the old videos, and I actually watched a new Warhammer community painting video. And they take a dollop, a dollop of the paint, and they put a little bit of brush load of water on there on the dry palette. Hold and on. they mix it around so it's thin. Yeah. And they start putting on the thing. And then they cut to the next section. And then I, I immediately go, and I pause it. And I go, bullshit. You put like two paint loads of, br of paint on that palette. And now you're already done with all of the skeleton's body. You know how many times you had to go palette to, or paint to palette 
to water to pallet because you got to do it two brush loads at a time because otherwise it's dried already. Yeah. Like they're not showing you the really crappy parts of using, of, a, of hard using a hard pallet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I if mean, you're doing one eyeball, I then he didn't need it. He didn't need the wet pallet. But why doesn't GW make a fucking wet pallet? It's. I think it's the same reason why they don't have dropper bottles. They're too what? far gone. They're no. too far into the warp where they can't turn around now. It undermines every decision because they've said for so long that this is what we are specifically doing it this way because this is the way that we weigh the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just keep saying the way. Right. Um, yeah, maybe. I guess it could be a little bit of stubbornness, but that just seems a little stupid. I just used three versions of the word way in that sentence. I don't know if you caught that. I'm going to have to listen to it back in the This edit. is the way we weigh the way. Is, way. Is there a difference between this, one and three? This is the way, W-A-Y. Yeah, yeah. We weigh, W-E-I-G-H, the way, W-H-E-Y, as in curds and whey. Yeah, but what... Uh, what does weighing cheese have to do with what you're talking about? Because I use three different versions oh, of the word way. It's the novelty of the, what you just did. Okay. It's just, it's the brilliance is the word I would use. Okay. Yeah. We'll call it Ted. Okay. You were uh, saying words. I don't remember what they were. It was, it wasn't important, but yeah, uh, Duncan's channel is out. It's he's pumping stuff out. Sisters of battle, storm troopers, all kinds of stuff. Um, sisters of storm troopers. Sis. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody uh, needs to kit bash that. Uh, what is that? <laughs> Sister, sister, I like. Uh, I'm trying to think of Finn's sister right now. You know, you know who Finn is right. Finn from the Star Wars movie. Yeah, because he's a stormtrooper. Who's his sister? Does he have one? He probably does. And we'll figure out about it in a f- episode ten. Right. Because Star Wars can't keep from leveraging their previous characters in their franchise. They can't make anything new ever. You, you, everybody has to be the granddaughter of someone important. Yep, <laughs> Baby Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's really our newsy news for today. Yes, I think sir. they're important things. I think Duncan doing Duncan things is great. Yep. You're looking at my single hair that's flopping down in my forehead. Yeah, you look kind of like disheveled John yeah. right now. Oh, I should. You know, my wife sometimes says I have Hitler hair. This is probably a terrible thing to share on the internet. So I'll, should I show you guys what Hitler hair looks like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Does it go behind the ear? No. sure there's my hitler here she says quit she's like i should stop saying that in front of our daughter because she's gonna go to school and say anyone with a side part she's gonna say you have hitler hair (laughs) (laughs) i mean kind of all right i need to take it away take it away people can't see that that brings us to the end of the podcast thank you for spending an hour and a half or so with us listening to us talk about miniature painting classes what we think about them how you can choose which ones that you might have the most fun in and learn the most in we appreciate your time yes and uh, we hope that you got some painting done or some driving done or some i don't know whatever else people would be doing while they're listening some pooping done yeah you know be be gentle on the amount of squares of tp you use you don't (laughs) want to run out mid podcast have to use your phone as ass wipe or <laughs> calling uh calling a little help yeah yo yeah wife oh. i need a tp <laughs> use your sock <laughs> <laughs> so 
if folks want to support us, there's a couple ways they can do that. Mm -hmm. And we are very appreciative of any kind of support we get. Anything from sharing what we do, whether that's on, you know, with your friends online or in person, whether it's Facebook, Insta, any other social medias, anything like that. We appreciate the kind words and sharing what we do. You can uh, leave a comment in the description of the video and the like and thumbs up and subscribe all those good things help us reach more people absolutely there's a thing um you can check out our merchandise so we have sweatshirts those are sweatshirts not sweaters yes sweatshirts t-shirts for both men and and females um so we can there i guess they're just different cuts yes like a female can wear the men's shirt and the men can wear the female shirt no one's gonna I don't know, just one of comedies for boobs. I don't know. Yes. So uh, we've got those. So that supports us. We also have a Patreon. So Scott, what do they what do they learn about or get from the Patreon? Uh, for five bucks, you get access to the extended episode of the uh, podcast, which uh, is uh, letting hearing us talk about uh, our favorite miniatures from other painters that we've discovered in the last uh, two weeks. You can get a, the opportunity to have one of your miniatures live critiqued on the episode um, or hear someone else's miniature be critiqued in detail. And you also get to hear about uh, what we learned and experimented with in the past two weeks and the results of that experiment. And finally, you also get the opportunity to supply topics for us to discuss in a podcast. So all of that for five bucks. And other ramblings right other oh, yeah. things we ramble about so that's probably another th at average probably 30 minutes yeah oftentimes John, more than 30 minutes John might fart and then it's funny and then i laugh yeah and then he sniffs it <laughs> and i die <laughs> slowly <laughs> yes so if you want that <laughs> the, Ooh, you know where to find us quality content <laughs> right all right well we appreciate you guys hanging out for episode 16 if you're listening to this on the monday it came out you'll find us again in two mondays if not you'll find us again on a certain monday that is either is or is not the next monday yeah <laughs> yes that's so accurate <laughs> all right so until then we will catch you on the flippity flop <laughs>